Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with author Claire Varley. Claire's new novel is The Book of Ordinary People, and it's far from ordinary, weaving together five strangers' lives in Melbourne's northern suburbs. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I speak with an Australian writer and explore their books, writing, and their literary culture as I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Now, the Great Conversations podcast lets me enlarge that discussion, get behind the scenes of the book, and explore the pressing issues it addresses in our world. Before we get into the Book of Ordinary People, though, I want to ask you to help me share great Australian writing with the world. If you're enjoying the Great Conversations podcast, can I ask you to share it with two friends? Maybe they're podcast lovers, maybe they're book lovers. When you share it with them, you can increase the circle of people that love Australian writing. You're also going to have some new friends to discover books with. Now, in Claire Varley's The Book of Ordinary People, we follow five seemingly ordinary people across Melbourne. Each of their lives are buffeted by the city's daily grind, stuck in traffic or waiting on the train. But each must face these challenges from a unique perspective. The mother and the family man, the young lawyer and the refugee, each a part of the faceless mass that passes for community and each spinning closer to the other every moment. Join me as I explore the everyday in the book of ordinary people. My name's Andrew Popel, and I am joined on the line by Claire Varley. Her first novel was 2015's The Bit In Between, and today we're discussing her second work, The Book of Ordinary People. Claire, thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It is... It, look, it's my absolute pr- pleasure. Um, I want to introduce people to the, to the Book of Ordinary People. We begin in traffic. Melbourne's north grinds to a halt, not with a bang but with a whimper, and the populace are forced to swear impotently into their lattes if they had the foresight to grab one before they entered the fray. Now, across the city, five strangers begin their day in varying states of disarray caused by the gridlock, and we, the reader, we're poised to enter their ordinary lives. Now, I found it, I found it absolutely extraordinary your weaving together of these stories. Tapestry may well be a well-worn analogy for intersecting narrative lives, but I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it to give to give a small spoiler warning, not for sort of some grand reveal of a murder, but for the small pleasures of the novel that we're going to inevitably discuss. We talked about off-air just the fact that of discussing the interweaving of these lives kind of, kind of tells you a little bit more about the Book of Ordinary People than even I knew when I opened the cover. Absolutely. And, you know, I think tapestry is, you know, so one of those... I guess overused words in, in the literary world, but I think it's such a such a good um, good word to use, and it was something that I, I thought about a lot. Um, you know, I wanted to to create this book where we had these five very different people who were doing very different things with their lives, but who were in the one geographical area, and and I wanted to look at how their lives interconnected, whether it was in brief moments, in more complex moments, um, and, and to really work out how, how we can have these spaces where all these very different people exist, but they use the same spaces in different ways, or the same event has very different repercussions on each of their lives. So I really wanted to explore that idea of how we could pull together these five seemingly very different people um, into, into this one world. Yeah, let's think for a little minute about this idea of community. It's not always so easy in cities like 
Melbourne or Sydney, where we, we both are, I think we've all had the experience of running into a friend or an acquaintance in this oblique location and wondering, what are the odds? In the Book of Ordinary People, we watch sort of almost the opposite happen as seeming strangers circle each other's lives. I was often tantalised at the, the prospect of them meeting in your narrative. Were you hoping to explore the way communities work or, or perhaps don't work within a city? Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things that has has always really fascinated me, you know, in, in my day job, I work in the community sector and a lot of that work is around, um, you know, meeting very different people, people from all walks of life um, and and getting to know what's going on for them. And And I think what that has sort of really done for me is to show how... Um, how we have these communities where there's there's just so many different stories in them where people have, you know, completely different experiences of the world but also um, very similar experiences in, in, in other ways. So, um, you know, I've always been fascinated by how people can relate to each other in so many ways but also be very, very different. And I think that was something I really wanted to, to tease out. And, you know, my, my starting point for this book um, was one of the characters who is a, a woman who is from Iran. She's in the community. She is an asylum seeker who is waiting for the outcome of her visa that, that is waiting with the immigration department. And, you know, at the time when I first started writing this book, I was working with asylum seeker communities in, in Melbourne's outer north. And what I didn't realise at the time until I started that work was how many people were actually living in our communities, were on bridging visas, um, had been waiting for a, a number of years for the outcome of, of their visas due to a whole lot of different government policy, um, yet were very much a part of our community, were using the same spaces, were, you know, their children were going to our schools, they were part of our community, but we just didn't notice them. And, you know, 30,000 people, a significant number of people. So that was my starting point to, to really start to look at what else is going on in our community? Who are all the different people that make up our communities that we might not think about or we might not have any experience of because we don't um, consciously come up against them in our day-to-day life. So that was really what I wanted to look at. Did you wonder how we got to that point? I mean, it, it seems both within the book and I think within our lives, I'm, I'm a big public transport user, we have these moments of near connection, but we almost live in a culture today where we, we quickly avert our eyes rather than than reach out. And, and perhaps perhaps sometimes people are encouraged to do so. You know, we're all sort of brought up from a certain age with this idea of stranger danger. Where did we get to the point where we really uh, can live within a community but sometimes be so out of touch with it? I think that's a really good question. And I think um, I, I think we can see so many examples in, in the world today of, of how we, we have so many missed opportunities to, to connect with people. And, and you know, I, I don't know how much of that is... Um, because the way we live our lives have, have changed and, you know, if, if we look more inwards than we did, I don't know how much of that is around, I guess, the political climate of, um, um, and, and, you know, what that, the implications that has for people. But, but I certainly think that, um, you know, that, that we do miss out on a lot by 
by not having more connections with people or by having, I guess, connections with very small circles of, of people. You know, often we, we will seek out like-minded people because they share the same views and opinions of us, but that means that we're often missing opportunities to, um, to have interesting and complex conversations with people and to, and to, I guess, really look at ways that we can build connections rather than divisions between people. But I, I think it's just a, a really fascinating um, topic, particularly in the current, I guess, global political climate where a lot of the, the conversation is around, um, you know, divisiveness and it's about us and them and, you know, there's, there's no middle ground between that and there's no opportunity for us to, to look at ourselves as this one big collective us that has commonalities and differences and to, to start to look at what are the opportunities for, um, you know, for coming together and for, for sharing ideas and for looking at, you know, collective ways to move forward. Yeah, I wonder also if it, if it relates in some way to how we as individuals stand in relation to our priorities, to the moments in our life. Because, I mean, each of your ordinary people are poised, it seemed to me, within a state of action. We have... Ada and DB, they're waiting, one for asylum, another on uh, a, a believed promotion. We have Nell and Evangelina. They sort of seem to be to be pushing towards an action. They want to move their lives forward, but kind of seem unable. And then we have Rick, who's regretting what perhaps... Uh, well, I'm not telling anyone. Um, <laughs> their, their lives are being defined by these grand moments, perhaps to their daily detriment. And... Is it that we live our lives in, in flux and completely enthralled to, to large and critical moments and more ignorant to everyday details of life? I think that's certainly, um, you know, it's certainly a really interesting tension, isn't it? That mm. often, often our focus is on the bigger picture or it's on these, you know, grand goals and these things that we set our sights on as being markers of success or, you know, when we get to this point, everything will be better or when we get to this hurdle, my life will suddenly be easier or happier or, you know, all, all the pieces will fall into place. And when we have that focus, you know, we, like you said, we lose sight of, of the fact that, you know, we get up each day and we live our lives each day and, and every single day we have opportunities to have really meaningful connections with people and every single day we have opportunities to do a whole lot of seemingly small acts that will have really positive repercussions on the world and, you know, really positive um, ripples out into other people's lives. So I think we... We do certainly live in a world where we're often focusing on much bigger things that can often be to the detriment of what does that mean for me as a person who gets up each day, who lives my life, who interacts with a whole lot of people and has so many opportunities to get fulfilment from that, to get enjoyment from that and, and to use those small interactions to make other people's lives a little bit better. Yeah, it really crystallised for me at, at different moments in the book and I, I want to stress. I want to stress to the listener how impossible it is to encapsulate anything but small vignettes in our conversation, and because this book is has got so much to it. But there was a scene uh, where Ada is taking Nikki, her her housemate. They're asylum seekers. They share a house, and her housemate Elham's daughter Nikki to school, and the 
the early childhood teacher comes to to speak to her, and there's this gulf between them because although both are concerned for Nikki, it seems like one is coming from a place of child protection and the other is coming from a place of of fear at not being welcomed. And instead of seeing the commonality and concern for Nikki, they're they're almost swamped by by these larger issues of uh, at mind and. Moments like this happen to each of the characters where instead of seeing the, the, the moment between two people, they're looking at larger career goals or or things that they want to see happen rather than just that interaction. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things that that we perhaps don't do as well in, in society is um, we're, you know, we're very good at sort of seeing our own point of view and the reasons that we we are passionate about something or the reasons that we believe something. And the world is full of a whole lot of other people who are, are coming from the similar, um, you know, their own point of view. And I think often we we forget that that we're all being driven by something and that often, you know, that's for, for our own life, we've got a whole lot of reason that's gone into why we think what we think. Mm. And we often miss out on the opportunities to, to kind of step back from ourselves a little bit and to explore, well, where is this other person coming from? And is there, if we're driven by, um, you know, if our endpoint is the same and we're driven by slightly different things, what's, what's the way that we can bring those things together? Or what's the way that we can learn more about... Um, somebody's reasons for for what's driving them and to I guess look at more opportunities for us to to come together on things and to learn from each other. Mm, the children in the book are great like that because they are so much more uh, responsive. Sometimes sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, but you can see how their their reactions and their actions are not held up with all that baggage. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it, it is that cliche of kids seeing the world in a in a much um, in a much more simple way, but often, as you said, it's a simple way because it's not weighed down by um, by a whole lifetime of of living, or it's not weighed down by um, you know different ideology or things like that. And you know, I, I know lots of. Parents often speak about the fact that kids come out with incredibly profound um, solutions to things or incredibly profound ways of looking at the world because they aren't necessarily coming from a hugely personally invested way of looking at things. And it's one of the things that, you know, I just delight in with my, my friend's children that, that they have such a um, such a clear way of looking at the world and can come up with incredibly... Um, fair and equitable solutions to problems because they're not so weighed down in in a whole lot of personal baggage or those kind of things. I wanted to ask about your title. It's it's Ada and Elham that introduce us to the Shahnameh, the Persian Book of Kings, and in their conversation, they imagine that their own lives might be chronicled in the Book of Ordinary People. But I wondered what you felt was the difference between the epic tales of kings and, and their trials and, and the, the things they must overcome and our own individual, everyday, dare I say, ordinary trials? I think so much of, of that difference is in maybe how we, we privilege or, or celebrate 
um, those lives. And one of the things that um, I guess I, I wanted to play around with with this book was that often the stories that we tell about people or the events that we we hold up as being these incredible events or these noteworthy events or things to celebrate are are these massive, you know, tales of kings, tales of people who have done um, hugely notable things and, and changed the world in, in massive ways. And that's often to the detriment of of people who get up and live their lives each day and do what we might uh, consider ordinary things, but are really meaningful, important things that, that build the world and that often we forget about those people. We don't celebrate those people. And, you know, I think we've got a, a huge history of only telling some of the stories and only celebrating some of the achievements of, of what's happened to the world um, without really looking at the fact that that there are so many people who do have what we would consider ordinary lives, but those ordinary lives are so meaningful and do incredible things for other people and, and make really important um, little little ripples in the world, but they're not sticking their head, you know, high up above the, the parapet. They're not um, necessarily getting celebrated for, for doing incredible things, but but their lives are so important and all of our lives are so important. And, you know, I think we each have incredible stories to tell about what we've done with our lives and that's often overlooked. I love the glorious irony that you celebrate that with through the character of DB. And I'm just going to refer to the birthday party scene, but DB amongst, amongst all of your five is probably the, the one who is sort of most the man who would be king is how he imagines himself. (laughs) And he in trying to be grand, in trying to be epic, he he has epic fails. Um, and uh, sorry, I, that birthday party scene, I was I was in tears. I hope I was meant to be <laughs> laughing at that. <laughs> oh, I'm delighted to hear that. That was one of my favourite scenes to write. Um, I think, you know, I think I think everybody has a little bit of DV in them, and we often have this idea about what success looks like and what is going to impress other people and the boxes that we need to tick in order to say that, you know, we have lived our best life, we've achieved all that we can achieve. Um, but often we we don't achieve all those things through through various um, reasons. And I think, you know, DB's character is, is very much around, I guess, looking at um, how we can sometimes be so focused on the things that we should be doing that we can become a bit blinded to, to the rest of the world around us and to the really wonderful things that we do have in our lives. And in your other characters, we have Evangelina's mother. She was a, a migrant from Greece in the 1950s. Patrick's father struggled to regain the language that he lost um, because his father wanted the, his, the children to assimilate. Ada is forced to question whether the country in which she has sought refuge even wants her as a as a nation, we have a legacy of of welcoming people from across the seas, but then being kind of absolute shits to them and demanding they they do this thing called assimilation, which just kind of seems to be an erasal of identity. Um, and now we barely seem capable of that. What did you want through the book, uh, the readers, to understand about these ordinary people? That's a really good question, and I think you know this is this is something that that I, I think about a lot. You know, I, I 
work with people from from many many different countries. My my own family is um, you know Greek Cypriot background. I think that Australia is in such a unique position in terms of um, who who is Australian, who contributes to our culture and identity, and it is so diverse. Yet we have not really worked out um, a way of of acknowledging that and, and of celebrating that. And, you know, we often talk about the fact that we've got this history of constant migration and that all of that history influences who we are today um, and, and our values, yet we, we really easily forget that. And, you know, I think there's definitely a tension between the fact that um, you know, we, we celebrate being a multicultural country, but we often don't really unpack what that looks like. And the fact that, you know, for a majority of Australians, their identity is, is a whole lot of different cultures and, and aspects and, and characteristics that are coming together to, to, to constitute who they are. And I think that it's, um, it's a really interesting tension that, that we constantly have because the Australian identity is constantly evolving and, and being recreated and being influenced by all the different people who make up our society, yet we are still not um, doing a very good job of recognising that and, and of celebrating that, that that has influenced who we are and will continue to influence who we are into the future. You put a really interesting line uh, into the mouth of, of Nell's mother. They're having a conversation. Nell is incredibly proud of uh, a scheme that she is, has got her, the, the law firm where she works to, to take on. And Nell's talking about representing clients and her mum, uh, a staunch academic and feminist, talks to her about how representation is inherently problematic and that people should be able to tell their own stories. Is that maybe the heart of it? that we need to be more open to listening to individual stories and, and stop presuming a knowledge that isn't ours? I think it, it, it's absolutely um, a component of it. And, you know, while I, while I completely, you know, um, see the irony of a book being about people telling their own stories that, that I've written, um, I, think, I think it is a really important Conversation, and it's a really um, vital conversation that that we're certainly having in in the literary field at the moment. But but is important beyond that because you know I think what we can see is so many different examples of um, of narratives that we're telling about people, uh, you know, about different cultures, about different religions, about um, you know a whole lot of different people. And the problem with that is we're, we're actually not creating a space where people are able to tell their own story and to recognise that, you know, within any one group, there'll be, you know, so many different stories because we are all complex and different people. And I think, um, I think we're certainly living in a time where there is a lot more opportunity for more voices to tell stories and that's something that we should absolutely celebrate. But I think we... We need to keep promoting that and keep looking at more opportunities for for people to be able to to tell their stories, to represent themselves, and to also um, acknowledge that 
it's not just a case of having one person tell their story and that being the story for everybody. It's an opportunity for many, many different people from many different backgrounds to be able to tell different stories and to be able to all contribute to, to the collective stories of Australia. I am speaking with Claire Varley about her novel, The Book of Ordinary People. And, and Claire, look, I hope I haven't paid short, short shrift to the, the beautiful small moments that you create in The Book of Ordinary People. I've actually got a note for myself here that you could do worse than learn a little bit about friendship in the, from The Book of Ordinary People because I found myself liking and loathing and coming to terms with each of the characters at diverging points of the novel. Uh, I'm not going to ask if you had a favourite... I'm just going to thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me about this wonderful book. Thank you so much. Um, It's been really lovely talking to you. That's it for this great conversation with Claire Varley. Claire's new novel, The Book of Ordinary People, is out now through Pan Macmillan. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. If you're enjoying Great Conversations from Final Draft, why not subscribe in iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and you'll receive a new episode delivered straight to your phone every week. Now, don't forget, share this podcast with two book-loving friends and if you're enjoying the show, please rate us to help others discover the world of Australian literature. It just means more people to talk books with and that's only ever a good thing. To keep up with the latest books, writing and literary culture, why not follow us on Twitter, Instagram, even Facebook? Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. My name is Andrew Popel, and I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft, so I'll see you then.